I believe calm is a superpower in itself. You know, the power behind our thoughts and how much they can actually create our stress is so interesting to me. So many people spend so much time thinking stress will be something that helps them perform, which it does quickly, but consistently, it completely debilitates us. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. And today's guest is a good friend of mine. She works for their organization and somebody I think you're going to love. Let me tell you about her. She's a stress management consultant. She's a Reiki master, a mindfulness practitioner, a meditation teacher, international speaker, and a five-star rated podcaster. And she's a best-selling co-author of The Law of Brand Attraction. She understands stress from a unique position from what she went through with chronic stress for a seven-year period after personally experiencing the damaging effects of stress on her family. She lost both her father and her sister. Alice Law is probably the most stressless person I know. <laughs> She's calm and she understands how to manage stress, which many of us don't. So let's cue the music and listen into this lovely interview with Alice Law. Megaverse, the digital frontier of tomorrow. Megaverse stands at the cutting edge intersection of technology and imagination. It's a virtual realm where the limitless expanse of the digital universe unfolds, offering users unparalleled experiences and interactions. With its advanced Metaverse platform, users can craft unique avatars, forge connections, and even establish their own digital estates. It's more than just virtual reality. Megaverse is an expansive digital civilization teeming with opportunities for both individuals and brands. From immersive concerts to revolutionary retail experiences, Megaverse is redefining the way we engage with the digital world. As we stand on the brink of a new era where the lines between our physical reality and the digital realm blur, Megaverse is poised to lead the charge in this brave new world. Dive in and discover a universe without bounds. This really is the future. And lastly, thank you to Najahi Events, who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. Alice Law on the podcast. I never <laughs> thought I'd say that. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it, just seems to, it seems to be coming for so long, doesn't it, this, this episode? Yeah, it's true. It is, yeah, it's four years coming. <laughs> four years coming. I came on your podcast all that time ago and we got to know each other, we became mates and obviously now there's stuff we'll talk about later about working together as well, but... First of all, thank you for coming. It's nice to see you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see you in London. Yeah, it's always good to see. So, Alice, I know your story, and so it's very easy for me to skip over parts because I, I really know a lot about what has happened over the years. But what I'd like you to do for everyone in Dubai and all the audience that are listening and watching right now is to go from the beginning and tell your story of what happened to you, okay, and then why it changed your life and then what you do today. Okay. Yeah. Like you say, there's, there's a lot, lots to cover. So I'll try and start from the beginning. So when I was growing up, stress was not a part of my life. I always openly say that I was very lucky. Like I had, I wasn't bullied at school. I was very happy. My parents were together. My dad was a successful entrepreneur at the time. And I had a lot of love in my family. And like, you know, everyone was, apart from my dad had a brief, brief little stint of cancer that he recovered from quickly when I was three. Everything was just like pretty easy. But then 
when I turned 19, 18, all of that just started to change one thing after the other. So I went through this period of time in my 20s that essentially lasted for, well, yeah, nine years, 10 years. And it was sort of beginning with after the credit crisis, um, my dad was, like I said, he was an entrepreneur. He was in renewable energy and property development. And things just went very wrong from the credit crisis, from overinvestments. And he had to, was forced to put his business in administration, which was really devastating to watch because, you know, he was of that generation. It was like men provide. And he just felt so, well, like he couldn't do what he was there to do because he was just, that was what he, you know, he's, you know, you talk about your love languages. And my dad was amazing in so many ways. One of his love languages was like gifts, for example, you know. And so he just felt really, really, you could see him really start to withdraw within himself then. But at that time, my eldest half-sister um, suddenly got diagnosed with colon cancer. And that came completely out of the blue. And we had a four-year sort of battle with that, going backwards and forwards with chemo, radiation, one. And then suddenly, I remember going down to celebrate at her house with my dad and her family, husband, kids, for the weekend. And what was meant to be like another, she's just seen the doctor and it's clear still. And I arrived and she was terminal. And that was just like, what the hell? It was within three weeks, like clear to terminal. My dad was obviously devastated, as were all of us. Um, she tried then clinical trials for one last chance, but we very sadly lost her four years later. And during that time, my dad started to go into depression um, and was forced to sell our home, which was obviously a massive devastation for him and all of us. Um, was in real financial difficulty. He had a lawsuit um, suddenly come against him from people who we'd once thought of as like chosen family from what they said was a loss on investment from 25 years ago. Just all these things started to sort of mount up. And at the same time, I was really, really struggling with being anxious myself. So sort of to add to this, <laughs> add to this little story, there's four days after my sister's funeral, my dad got rushed to hospital. Um, for a blood clot because he just hadn't been moving. He was so depressed. And they scanned him, sorted out the blood clot, but they found that he had cancer again. And he refused to do anything about it. So I'm at this stage then where I was like, well, I've just lost my sister to cancer. I'm not losing my dad to cancer. And I went into a very sort of trying to control the situation. I would call him every day and be like, have you seen the doctor? You know, what's going on? Da, da, da. And he obviously, he'd, He'd already done the battle with cancer, like I said, when he when I was three. He'd just seen his sister, his daughter go through it. He'd actually lost his own twin sister to cancer at the same age as his daughter with the exact same age kids. So it was like this horrible replay of a tragedy for him. And combined with, you know, the financial difficulty and having to put his company into administration, he just went into complete depression and became like a sort of walking ghost to me. So I always say to you know, my people who ask is, I lost my sister once, but I lost my dad twice because that first loss for me was so painful. It was four years of watching him just completely not be there. And at that same time, I was, you know, working in London. So he was up in Yorkshire and I'd go up and see him as much as I could. But, you know, I was try trying to sort of do my job as doing a terrible job as a PA. I don't know how I managed to keep it, to be honest, at that point. But they were wonderful people I was working for. And, you know, they were very supportive of me during that time. And then my boyfriend, my long-term boyfriend at the time, moved to Singapore. And um, he actually cheated on me just after my sister died. 
So I was like, okay, well, this is all going really well. Oh. And then um, my, you know, I was, I sort of had to watch my dad go through this and was trying to like cope myself, trying to bring tools to myself to try and manage. So I was like, right, I can't deal with anything that's going on. I can't change it. I mean, I can't change any of these situations. I can't bring my sister back. I can't, you know, let my dad not have cancer. I can't you know, solve his financial difficulties or, you know, bring our house back or get my boyfriend back. So what can I do? And I was like, well, I have to change myself because I have to change how I respond to all of this because it just kept coming and coming. So I started learning all these, you know, mindfulness tools and studying like everything I could, you know, my lunch breaks. Like I said, I'm surprised I wasn't fired. It was like anything I could get my hands on from the scientific to, you know, mindfulness to mindset work, to spirituality, to energy work. I was like, how do you deal with stress and anxiety? And all these things that I started doing on myself really started working and sort of helped me through that period. And I realized it's what I wanted to do when I then got made redundant from my job. So that was another added stress um, because my bosses were relocating to Monaco. And so they were like, well, what do you want to do? And at the time I thought, I thought I wanted to be in fashion when I was younger. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll do that. And they said, um, well, we'll help you like set up whatever sort of, you know, start practice you want to start up. So I then thought, okay, I'm going to do coaching and went to go and sort of like, you know, training sort of mindfulness and mindset work and coaching and meditation and energy healing and pull all of those things together to make sort of my own stress programs. Was carrying on with this and really enjoying it. But then my dad, very sadly, we lost him to stress-related illness completely um, four years ago now. So he was rushed to hospital. It wasn't actually the cancer. He, we had this conversation once and he was like, you know, my cancer's not going to kill me. I'm too old. It's too slow. So he was in his late 70s at this point. And I just don't want to deal with it. Obviously, I really struggled with that and fought with him for two years about it. Um, finally surrendered and really enjoyed that final time with him as best I could, which I'm so glad I did because the irony was that, yeah, it was stress that killed him. So he had a burst stomach ulcer caused from um, stress and internal complications that burst and we lost him to to that and it was one of those things you know when you I really didn't expect to lose my dad in that sudden way from stress if that made sense I'd seen it be such a thing for four years just completely destroy someone I saw as so charismatic you know he was always like the life and soul of the party he had every solution and he just became a complete shell of himself. And I remember going into the funeral chapel to sort of visit his body before, because I'd never done that with my sister. And I thought, well, I'd like to sort of try and say goodbye. And it was a very weird experience for me because I looked at his, um, I looked at his body in the chapel, and I realised that he looked more peaceful then than I'd seen him in eight years. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm I'm a very spiritual person, and I can see that you know he wasn't there anymore, and I believe he's somewhere else. And I just thought, okay, in that moment, I really have to try and make this my mission in life to not let other families go through this because I suffered really bad with anxiety at this time myself. But I, like I said, had the tools to then eventually get myself through it. But with my dad, he suffered so much. The last part of his life was so painful from having such a wonderful one. And the effect that has not just on the person, but on their family, you know, it really affected all of us and my mom. And like I said, you know, I lost my dad twice. And that was sometimes, I think, even a more painful loss to see someone you love be in that state and try to help them but not be able to. And I think loads of people can relate to that. You know, when people have a mental illness or whatever it is, everyone knows that thing. You can't save someone who's not willing to save themselves. But that's one of the most painful things to watch as a family member, to me anyway. Mm. 
How old was your sister when you died? She died? She was 49. And how old was your dad? My dad was, he just turned 80. And to some people, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, he was old. But for me, that was just not the case because I was his second family. That was my half-sister from his first marriage. But she was like, you know, um, a full sister to us. And for me, my dad completely aged and went downhill as soon as the stress hit his life, proper stress. Mm. You know, when, um, when I was younger, all well, my friends used to be like, your dad is not, you know, that old or whatever. They're like, no way. He was just always this vibrant, full head of hair, very handsome. <laughs> just, you would never know. And yeah, then- A bit like me. Exactly like you, okay. Spencer. <laughs> Pretty charismatic, full head, full, full head of hair. Full head of hair. <laughs> I like your dad. You <laughs> still be laughing, we're like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> My kind of guy. <laughs> exactly, identical. The, the 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 trauma that you must have experienced through then. I mean, you're you're in every conversation I always have with you. You're very calm. Very very that calmness that comes from you. You're um, you're you're. I'm I'm up and down. I was about to say like a tart sneaker. That's really <laughs> up and down. Like I don't, I don't even. <laughs> they are up and down. <laughs> I don't even know why I would say that. I just going to laugh. Oh, so you're up and down like a tart. They won't edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> they won't edit it out. Please don't edit it out. <laughs> So I, I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm inconsistent in terms of my moods. My moods go up and down. But the, the way that whenever I'm with you, and you and I have been for walks on the beach, we've been for coffees and teas and dinners and stuff over the years. We've been on Zooms, all this stuff. You, you're always this very calm kind of person. And it's almost, it reminds me of my grandmother. Because my grandmother has this way. She used to, she used to hold my hand. And the moment she held my hand, it literally went all the way up my body. And all the way through me and just literally any form of anxiety, stress, whatever it might have been, tension, just went, Oof. and you do that. Oof. I, know, I know one other person in my life, apart from you, that does exactly that thing. And when you speak, it calms me. Oh, thank you. So it's a, it's a superpower you have. I believe calm is a superpower in itself, do you know what I mean? It's like, mm. I think that so many people spend so much time thinking stress will be something that helps them perform which it does quickly but consistently it completely debilitates us like when you're calm you can actually go into a situation that's really stressful and see it really clearly in a calm way that's a superpower can we understand the difference between stress and worry yeah because i i, I would say that and again i can only take my own examples and people listening might know these i seem to i seem to thrive under stress Okay, but become preoccupied with worry. And obviously there's all the old sayings about why worry about something you can't worry about. And that's easier said than done for lots of people, isn't it? But but it's in me, in my little world that I live in, they're very, very different. Are they? Well, yeah, I mean, when I close the question, like when you worry, are you worrying about one specific thing? Are you worrying about multiple things? Depending on the time of day. Um There'll, be, there'll always be one big thing that day that I'm worried about. Yeah. So worry is a form of mental stress. So it's just, you know, we have that voice inside of us. It's our thoughts. Everyone knows, you know, you have thoughts, but a lot of people don't know you're separate from them. You know, you can observe your thoughts if you actually become mindful. And when we worry, we set off our stress response. So, like, if you're worrying about one thing particular, 
you know, Mo and I talk about in our work, for example, obsessions. That's like an obsession, that one story that you just can't let go and you then make a narrative of, it goes from here to here very, very quickly. Whereas worrying about tiny little things is what we call nuisances. So it'll just be like, I don't look that great today. And you look in the mirror and that actually adds a bit of stress. But worry is a form of stress. It's a form of mental stress. And, you know, I love that expression though. Like someone said to me once, you know, worrying is just praying for what you don't want, essentially, because you're just going over and over and over and over and over something in your mind. Mm. And I do think that's really true. Um, You know, the power behind our thoughts and how much they can actually create our stress is so interesting to me because... Everyone thinks the stress is external, but they forget how responsible their mind is for 50% of it. Okay, let's break this down. So first of all, you've gone through this this experience. This is this, this, this created indirectly in an, an awakening. Mm. This awakening has come and you're like, hold on a minute, this is this is, this is is important. And, and then you went off to learn about it and get some professional background to it yourself and become an expert on the subject. Once you became an expert on the subject, what was your actual goal? I think my goal was to try to make people not just cure stress, but prevent it. So I hate this mentality, particularly in Western society, where we just keep going until we break. And so many people have that in so many different parts of mental health. It's like, okay, just keep going, keep going. I'm not not in hospital yet, so I'm just going to carry on. And then it all comes crashing down and, you know, you hear... the awful stories of people having heart attacks from stress or whatever it is, and actually their body has been actually giving them signs for ages that they've been ignoring for better productivity in their minds, which actually isn't the case. But, you know, you're actually 31% more productive when you're calm than when you're stressed, which is a very interesting statistic for me because people think it's the other way around. Um, But, yeah, it's the prevention side for me because if you are always, if you're at a baseline, if we're negative, if, you know, if your neutral place is there, sorry, and then, you know, extremely stressed is there and happy's up here. But everyone is actually always working from down here. You're only really going to get back up to neutral. You're never going to be extremely happy. It's that harder thing. So how do you sort of get to a space where you become really resilient in your good times as well so that then you have this sort of backup, you know, thing to work on when something really drastic happens and you have the tools to really be able to manage it. And a lot of people, not even from these life events, but just allow stress to build up and build up and build up and build up over time until they break. And then that's when you, you know, you see things like burnout and you see things like depression happening. And, you know, obviously the worst case scenario is depression leading to suicide from stress and all sorts of things, but, and the huge health problems. But for me it is the prevention rather than cure, because I think if we can all get to that place where it's normal to work out your mind, your emotions, your body and your soul as a whole aspect together, because everyone's used to going to the gym. Like, you love the gym. <laughs> Every morning on Instagram. But, you know, it's it's one of those things. If we can get to that space, then it becomes a lot easier to not only just not get to that breakdown point, but to notice when you're getting close so you don't get to that point. So for me, it is, okay, how can we create prevention, not just cure? Mm. A lot of people would say that that's not possible. What do you say to that? I'd say I think that's a very ignorant comment because I honestly do believe that it's completely one of the easiest things we could do. We've just not been taught how to deal with our system correctly. Okay. We're kind of, we're living in this space of, you know, modern times where we're working on a system that essentially, you know, from our caveman times, your brain and your bodily system hasn't really changed. So we're working on this fight and flight response that's going off usually 
back then, if a lion came scared you in the bushes, it'll go off. Your stress response will go off, floods you with all the right chemicals. You need to run, fight, do whatever you need, and then goes back off. Now, in the modern world, it just goes off all the time for things that we don't think it is. So, like, you know, all our mobile apps, whether it's that upsetting email from a boss, getting stuck in traffic, various things. And it's con- we're constantly in this sort of simmering state. But the reason is, is because we haven't been taught how to deal with our system. We haven't been taught how to shut it off and tell our system you're not actually under stress because you're not going to be killed by a, an email from your boss. Are you? that, that's not a real life threat. So I think it's, it's really, it's a common misconception that people say that it's, it's not doable. It's just about, for me, understanding actually how we work mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, and it becoming a normal part of your language with yourself, essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would you, would you care to take a bit of time to school me? School you, sure. Okay. Maybe we can just have a little bit of a session right now. <laughs> I'd love to school you. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I went and had stress testing done last week. Okay. So someone said, get some stress testing done. And everything you described was there. I'm in that, I'm, I'm in constant all the time, uh, a heightened state. And that was all the way through the stress testing. So the stress testing was for about an hour. And that state didn't change, mm. no matter what, what was going on, which kind of was my first experience of doing it. And so I was kind of like open to it and welcoming and all that kind of stuff, rather than <laughs> stub an old mule. <laughs> but if you are to teach me, how would you teach me? What would be the process? And, and give me the steps. So it's sort of, sorry, it's about looking at, first of all, like where your stress is coming from, because there's certain stresses that we can limit that we just allow to create the simmering in the background and obviously other stresses that you can't. So me and my co-author Mo, who, you know, we talk about something called a ton of stress, which is our model for actually working out where your stress is coming from. So there's external and internal. And within both those things, there's macro and micro. So external macro is the things I talked about of my family that you cannot change, these stressful life events that come out of nowhere, and we expect to cause them stress, a stress, and they do. But actually, that's not usually the biggest problem. It's what's going on in the modern world that we talked about, this sort of like simmering of just daily activities, daily things just creeping up. And those are the, we call those, sorry, in our thing, um, trauma, obviously, in the model. And then the micro-external are actually what we call nuisances, So that is, you know, your phone alarm going off in the morning, jolting you out of bed instead of, I have a very soothing alarm, for example. It's goes, yeah, I do. It's like, well, because that's generally, that's your first microdose of stress. If you're waking up in the morning to an aggressive alarm, it's telling your system, alert, yeah, fine, it wakes you up, but it's like stress, that's it. And you're like on alert as soon as you get out of bed. So if you're waking up something soothing, like um, something gets louder, mine's like a sort of meditation background, not someone meditating, but the music for it and just gets louder and louder. It wakes me up calmly. So I'm like, okay, I'm awake now, you know? And that's that's the first microdose of stress, if not. So those little nuisances throughout the day pile up, you know, like we talked about, it's the alarm, it's the phone notifications, it's the emails, it's the traffic. And then you have the macro external, um, macro internal, sorry, which is the obsessions that we talked about a bit before. But obsessions are that one narrative in your head that you will not let go of constantly. Something that keeps coming up, something that you're really, really 
stressed or concerned about um, in your life and you sort of tell yourself a story about it. Often the stories we tell ourselves that we're causing ourselves stress about aren't even true. You know, as a lot of it is fictional in our brain. We sort of let it run on. And then there's also micro internal, which is just like I talked about for noise, as we call it. And that's just you saying in the morning, oh, you're fat today, whatever. That tiny little insignificant comment, which is insignificant in that moment, but over the day, guess what? Just like the no- the nuisances, it compounds. So the more you say, and you just get to this level where actually you've been following yourself around internally, talking quite negatively to yourself, and that itself is setting your stress response off. So two things, you, the four things you have to look at are, okay, is there any traumas going on in my life? A lot of the time there isn't. Sometimes there is. Then it's very obvious, something to deal with. Then also looking at how are you actually talking to yourself at the moment? Is there a continual narrative that you're obsessing about that's causing you a lot of stress? Or are you just actually not being very aware of how unkind you might be in a sort of a less, you know, a less aggressive way, but just those little niggles? Because what people don't realize is that your voice, your internal voice, like I say, has the ability to stress you emotionally. Just if I said to you now, Spencer, you, you look crap today and that upset you. That's the same response inside you if you're saying it inside your head. So looking at how you're actually, where your stress is coming from internally, how if you have an obsession or if you are being a bit unkind to yourself and that, that not noise. And then the main part to start before you do all the other work is looking at this part, which is the nuisances. So how many nuisances in your life externally are you letting in that you can actually limit? So can you change your aggressive, <laughs> aggressive phone alarm in the morning to something soothing? Can you not wake up first thing in the morning and look at the really horrifying news, but take 10 minutes to actually compose yourself and get yourself into the right state? So a lot of people, obviously, the standard morning we talk about, like a morning of nuisances is Spencer, wake I'm not saying this is your morning because I know you go to the gym in the morning, but like if you wake up in the morning, you like alarm goes off, first micro stress, you get out of bed. Well, you might snooze it, another micro stress dose. You then get out of bed. Um, flick on your phone, check your WhatsApp, check your social media, check everything else, check the news on your phone. Micro stress, micro stress, micro stress, micro stress. People wanting your attention. You haven't said that yes to that meeting or answered that WhatsApp. You look on social media and think, oh, that person's having a nice time without me. Oh, a bit annoyed today. Whatever it is, these micro stresses rack up. You then might watch the news, flood with more micro stress. Uh, you know, if someone's in a fam- in a family house, their kids' socks get lost before school, can't find them, you know, all these little micro-stresses add up. And the average person we looked at when we wrote all this was you generally have about 15 to 16 micro-stress doses before you've even made your morning coffee, which if you can think about that. I go to the gym, I must take <laughs> <even> more. <laughs> before 6 o'clock in the morning, it must be coming at me like machine guns. <laughs> That's what I mean. So can you imagine where you get to by the end of the day? And... This is what people realize, don't realize is you're just compounding over the day. And suddenly someone will say, you know, late, maybe a week later, oh, it's that one comment or that one thing that made someone go, ah, I'm so stressed. And people will be like, well, I'm not that stressed. There's nothing really that stressful going on in my life. Well, maybe not, but all the different things that you're letting in that you're not limiting are actually causing your stress threshold to go really, really low. So the first thing is looking actually at what you can limit, what in your, what in your normal life you can limit. And then from there, you then can move on to the emotional, sorry, the mental, the emotional, the physical and spiritual parts of you, which is just genuinely, I mean, we love this because it's looking actually so deeply at the four parts of us, getting to know them 
and being able to actually hear when you're stressed in each part and they all have this different language. How long does it take for a subject, a patient, a client or whatever it may be to, to get onto that wavelength? I think, you know, I, when I did one-to-one before, because I now like doing like, you know, group yeah, stuff. Yeah, which like, we'll talk about in a minute. But. It was 12 weeks, like program I'd put someone through so to get. Weekly? Yeah. So they go through a session with you once a week of which they then have homework. Yeah, exactly. Homework yeah. and like I would hold them accountable to sort of check in and be like, have you, you know, whether, say I told them to meditate that day or do the breathing exercise. Like, how you breathe today? Like, you know, just trying to get them into a mindset of like, okay, someone's holding me accountable. I have to like start putting this in, but equally, you know, making them put little alarms in their phones, soothing ones, reminders to do stupid little things like breathe properly because the amount of people who sat at their desk in the office, they actually have something on, on, on uh, studies called email apnea, which is when people are like sleep apnea when they don't breathe. People are holding their breath every time they write an email like this. <gasps> and it's like, okay. Wow. Yeah. And well, there's really? actually there's a term for it now, yeah, in research. And that's just mad because people are so out of tune with their body and just so immersed in the stress of having to get more things done. And it's that common misconception like we talked about before. Like you don't actually get more done. You get more done if stress is going on called you stress. Like say you were going to go on stage and perform a talk and you feel that bit of nerves and that good little bit of stress and it goes on and it comes off and you've performed well, but it comes back off at the end. Whereas distress, which is this continual sort of, whether it's simmering or whether it's big, is what everyone everyone is dealing with all the time. And that's why actually when you're in that, which people don't realize they are a lot of the time, you are less productive. So it's kind of changing the narrative of awareness essentially on where you're stressed and when you need to deal with it. Okay. Dealing with a, a one-to-one client means that someone with your expertise is limited by the hours in the day. And that's always a struggle because how do you reach so many people that really could benefit from this work? So tell me what... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> bit of jewelry on the table there. You were warned about that. At the I know. She was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> move it. Unless she doesn't listen to me, she must be really stressed. <laughs> yeah, she's going over my head. <laughs> Can't see. You do lose focus when you're stressed. Come as well. in a heightened place of stress. Why is that? Then? <laughs> this bloody studio. Yeah, literally. Oh, dear. So, how do, how do you reach more people? So, let's let's introduce the your business partner into the conversation, who's much loved in many parts of the world, especially Dubai. Okay, so you work with the amazing Mo Gaudat. I do. You are very lucky. Very, very lucky. He's one of the most, yeah, I'm just truly privileged to work with him. Mm-hmm. It's um, like like you, I met him through my podcast mm-hmm. um, and we became really good friends. And then I went on his podcast and he started sort of mentoring me a bit with some of my work and I told him I wanted to write a book on stress. and he was like, well, you know what? I would write that book with you. And I was like, well, yeah, that'd be amazing. And we started, we started putting it all together. And it's funny because the book's been delayed and delayed. You know, it's coming out next year now. It's supposed to be this year. And it's actually been a really interesting thing because from that, we realized that actually the book's great. It has everything we want in it, but there's so much more we also wanted to give. And we wanted to give people this ability to not just pick up a book and put it down and retain information and then never do anything with it, but have somewhere that actually allows them to be essentially get the tools they need to keep this practice up and the accountability and, you know, us sort of guiding them through it and have a community. So we set up um, Stressable um, and sort of tested it from the consumer well, side. Is. 
Yeah, so Unstressable is essentially, it's an education platform, but a membership to give people the tools they need monthly, trainings from us, a webinar, meditations and a community space to become unstressable and to literally deal with this in a really, just in an easy way, you know? So all the things we talked about then, it's, you know, the trainings on that and how do you do it? How do you do it on a daily basis? How can you integrate this into your life? And we, Mo and I give everyone, you know, these live webinars every month to go through the content that we've given and answer all their questions and just try our best to really yeah, help people to make it a normal part of their life. Like we talked about that prevention part, not just cure. Obviously, people do come to us quite stressed as well, and it helps hugely, obviously. But it's that getting people in to actually make it a part of their lifestyle so it affects some change. <clears throat> he also speaks very positively about you and talks to you and talks to me about how lucky he is to be able to work with you. So well, you might think the well, honour is very yours. kind. It's, uh, he's, he definitely says it otherwise. So if I am to embark on the unstressable journey, okay, and engage in in this program, it's going to give me the the skills I need, the the tools I need, but will it help create urgency for me to take action? As in, will urgency as in... Well, I I find that with, with these types of courses, they're great, okay? However then there needs to be kind of like a starting place. And, and, and the reality of all of these types of things online anyway is, is that if you don't finish it, then it's, it's probably not money well spent. You need to yeah. get, get into the zone. So, and for me, and I, I just think about me and, you know, we're mates. And so I, I can be really honest. It's like that because I don't think I'm stressed, even though, and most people I'm sure don't, how do how does somebody that doesn't think they're stressed become unstressable? If you said to me, Spencer, I'm telling you right now, this will change your life. Mm. All right. You know me, we're friends. Trust me, this will change your life. Because we have that relationship, I can go, okay, Alice, no problem at all. Let's get on with this, yeah? But how, how do you then convert those people out there that are like, I'm not sure if I am stressed. I'm worried about a few things, you know, but who isn't? Yeah. You know, I've had a couple of people troll me online, so I had a bad day. The boss shouted at me last week, and so I think he's a bit of a pig, you know. And to be honest with you, you know, my marriage isn't brilliant, but hey, everyone goes through ups and downs. It's never perfect. So really, am I stressed? Yeah. Those I, types of people, which I think is your vast majority. No, it's true. A lot of people don't think they're stressed. You're completely right. Like Mo and I had this joke with um, when we were writing the book. I wrote the physically stressed chapter and he was doing his tour for his book, Scary Smart at the time. It was really grueling. <laughs> He's always like, I didn't realize I was physically stressed till I was editing your chat from physically stressed and every single thing you said was me at that time. And I was like, my God, I need to make some lifestyle changes for my body. And he did. So I think it's about that thing of telling people, okay, a lot of people might be listening to this and think, yeah, I don't, I can't really sleep at night. I'm tired, but you know, no one can really sleep or I get headaches. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I'm stressed or I have a sore back, but that's fine. Or I have digestive issues, but that must be to do with my diet. All of these things are actually stress. And the amount of people that have these symptoms carrying on are like just phenomenal, Spencer. Like it's, it's crazy to me, the amount of my friends who even say like, oh, this is going on, but maybe it's stress, but I don't think I'm that stressed. I'm like, that is a key, key symptom of stress. So I always say to people, okay, Look at your look at your actual body first of all. Like, what are the things that are going on that you you know you're ignoring? Because we all have those niggles, and our body gets louder. You know, our body is so wise when it comes to its stress response, when it comes to its language to us, but we tend to ignore it. We ignore the niggles until, like I said before, someone is in hospital. 
And so you have to look at, okay, do I get headaches for starters? You know, do I have digestive issues? Do I find I have trouble sleeping? Do I have trouble concentrating? Do I have trouble? <laughs> do I have trouble concentrating? <laughs> So funny. Do I have trouble sleeping? Do I have trouble sure, concentrating? Yeah, just like, <laughs> There's a little shiny piece of paper went by there. I lost concentration. These are a small amount of the symptoms that people can show. And those are very common ones. And that's like you sat here now being like, yeah, those are all me. And this is what I mean, but I'm not very stressed. Well, you are because these are symptoms that your body's, your system's trying to show you. You essentially, your system feels under threat a lot. So I think looking at your bodily symptoms and we have like a sort of an emotional symptoms, but the body really doesn't lie ever. You know, there's that amazing um, book by is it Vessel van der Kamp who talks about the body holds the score. And it's just the total truth. It's like your body isn't going to tell you something's wrong when it's not. And so really looking at, okay, I can't sleep. What am I actually doing when I'm not sleeping? Am I just, you know, ruminating in my mind? Because guess what? That's mental stress. So that is a form of stress. Mm-hmm. And looking at those, you know, like I said, we talk about mental, emotional, physical, spiritual. They all have their own languages. They all have their own signs. And I think the most obvious one for those people, like you say, <laughs> that says I'm not stressed is looking at your body's ones because there are a lot of telltale ones there. My sleep is terrible. Yeah. Like last night, my wife said to me, <laughs> Sorry. I saw you on WhatsApp really early. She's three hours ahead because I've woken up. And I'm like, go back to sleep. No, I'm awake. And so I look at the phone and as soon as I look at my WhatsApp messages, obviously she can see what time I've, I've gone. She's like, what are you doing awake? I'm like, I can't sleep. But she, and she says, I can't sleep when you're not, ne- you're not next to me. So she finds it hard to sleep. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. You know, that's, that's nice. nice. You know, I need you here in bed to sleep. But for me, I go, I go through these, these cycles of hitting the pillow. So the first night of being here on the first day, we filmed four episodes. I went to bed at about nine o'clock and I didn't move. I literally, I think I slept like I was in a coffin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, sleep is a huge stress related issue, but I've never slept for more than five or five and a half hours a night. And people think that's a problem as well. In life, just all the time, all the time. I mean, I'm not a sleep specialist, but. I don't, you know, some people need less sleep than others and some people yeah, also... The, the sleep specialists are like... They're like, no, that's a no. That's a, that's a big <laughs> no, yeah. Okay, so as people are watch, uh, watching this right now on YouTube and listening to this right now in their car on their way home from work or whatever it may be, they will have sat and listened and heard some of the telltale signs that would say that they've got stress. Can it be diagnosed by a doctor or can we self-diagnose it Diagnose it, and say, I am stressed, I'm self-diagnosed, I'm going to go and get that course? I generally would say for people, I'm not even saying for this course, if you're doing something for themselves, assume that you're stressed and start to do something towards it and then see how different you feel. Because even within like four weeks, just assume that your baseline is stressed if you're in the modern world. Unless you're listening to this and you're sat on a beach with, you know, a mojito, you haven't got a care in the world, you've got no work, no worries, everything's going really well, fine. Jealous. But also, <laughs> but also just assume that because if you're in the modern world, your stress response is going off a lot without you even realizing because of the things we talked about earlier. And so you have to actually everyone who's in the modern world assume that your stress response has been on way too much if you haven't been doing anything to manage it because it has it just goes on and so can you do one thing 
you know, one thing today to actually just think, okay, what's one little exercise I can do? How about breathing? You know, something as simple as breathing in for the count of four through your nose, holding your breath for the count of four and breathing out of your mouth for the count of eight. And just sit for two minutes today and do that. If you do that for two minutes, you can even do it for three cycles, your stress response will go off and you'll tell your body to go out of fight or flight. Just doing that tiny little exercise, for example, a few moments a day, yeah, it's not going to cure the other parts of why your stress will keep coming back on for the various reasons we talked about, but just actually giving your body just a quick little bit of a reprieve, essentially, from constantly being in this simmering state. You know, that's one thing you can do today. You're really conscious, aren't you, of this yourself? And, and I said earlier in the pod that you, you, you come across as this very calm person. Do you work on you every day? Do you consciously work on you? Yeah. And of course, you know, I get stressed. I'm not perfect. Being you, get, stress- you get stressed. Well, because being unstressed. Like <laughs> you walk on water. It's just like, <laughs> Alex gets stressed. <laughs> okay, stop my boyfriend. You didn't <laughs> get stressed about that. It's like, we split up. And I'm like, oh, how was that? Then? She's like, yes, it wasn't great. It wasn't, it wasn't great. That's on to a, my next yoga session and Reiki healing moment. It's like everyone else is like sitting in a box of tissues watching Bridget Jones <laughs> eating bars of chocolate. And you're like, yes, it didn't work out. Yeah, and it's like, oh, well, but yeah. no, I mean, I get and stressed. And your zen state <laughs> floated back down in your yoga position. I don't actually do yoga. I like <laughs> back across the lake. <laughs> back across the lake. Like that to woman your in... Japanese garden. Fading <laughs> me like that woman in what's it, that program, Nine Perfect Strangers, like Nicole Kidman, and a wafty like, mist everywhere. Yeah, literally. If only. That's how I woke up in the morning. No, I mean, I get stressed because I'm human. Like, everyone gets stressed. You have a stress response for a reason, right? But for us, like, I always say it's not about not getting stressed. It's about how quickly you can become unstressed. And that's what become, that's what being unstressable is. It's about not sitting in that simmering state, but equally when something stresses you, being able to, you know, take that step back and manage it in a way that you're calm again. And... I think that's where people have that common misconception of, okay, well, you know, how can I never be stressed? I'm always going to be stressed. Well, yeah, of course, you are always going to get stressed, but don't be stressed continually. That's the point. And be able to actually notice and have these tools, like we say, like mind, emotions, body, and soul, to know when you're stressed in that part and come back from it really quickly. That's what really matters. When people start one-to-one with you, when they start downloading some of their problems and issues that are causing their stresses. Did you feel like you become a therapist? Because <laughs> yes, I, I was just thinking to myself in the moment, you know, we're mates, so it might, might be a little bit different. But if I said to you, Alice, I'm going to pay you to work with me on my stress. My fear is that I'd end up and you'd be my coat or my counsellor or my therapist. <laughs> is, does that sometimes kind of like, is, does it cross over there sometimes? No, I mean, you have to have boundaries and be like, look, I want to know why you're stressed. But the point is, it's like, I'm giving you tools to be able to deal with it, not... I've got another stress today. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about this last time. There's some more stress in my life. <laughs> Alice, you need to hear me. It's like, not my fault. Go and see a counsellor and let it all out. <laughs> Do you want to have tools to deal with it? Or do you want to whine? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can imagine doing that. So what's causing you stress then, Spencer? Everything. <laughs> All day, every day. This bloody podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Throws the microphone off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Do you enjoy it? I love it. I honestly do. I feel like, I said to Mo the other day, I was like, I feel so privileged to do what we're doing because, you know, we did a session last night with people and just being able to like hear them say like, oh my God, 
I was in this situation and I noticed the change in me. Like I had this stressful situation. And I realized that I was reacting and responding, sorry, not reacting in completely the way that I would want to. And I know that's because of this or, you know, I see this change in myself or this meditation made me feel so calm today. Thank you so much. And that for us is just, you know, it's the greatest privilege in the world to be able to see that change in people and know that you're somehow helping them to sort of help themselves, if that makes sense. Mm, it does. So lastly, Unstressables become uh, a product, essentially. Uh, I own a company called the Blue Sky Thinking Group, and within that group is Safe Hands and my business partner, Danielle. And I've just been thinking that Danielle, myself, and Mo all live in Dubai. So you're the fourth piece of a cog in the wheel. So when are you moving to Dubai? You sound like Mo. To bring in that all together. You literally sound like Mo. He's like, you're still in the UK? I'm like, yes, I am. Will you move to Dubai? No, but I will visit more. Does that answer We'll find you a boyfriend in Dubai. Right? We'll get you a man, all right? We'll, we'll get, you, get you married off so again. <laughs> Find me a boyfriend in Dubai, yeah. Find your boyfriend, find your husband material. (laughs) An unstressed man. Yeah, my God. I don't need a patient as a husband. I've had that before. (laughs) Have you enjoyed being on the show? I have. It's been great. It's been so nice. I've got such a great relationship with you, and I'm so glad that we're able to do this today. But thank you, Alice, for coming with us. No, thank you so much. It's been so fun finally to do it together. So it's really great. Thank you.